Hey everyone, it's Brian Beauchet with the Creative BTS Podcast. Today I'm excited to interview Tyler Brocious, former digital content manager at the XFL. If you don't know the XFL, it was a professional American football league that unfortunately had to shut down operations just five weeks into their first season due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Before shutting down though, the XFL brought in over 3 million viewers in its first week and built a large following of fans through its digital and social media efforts. We're going to go behind the scenes to talk about how the XFL executed on this marketing strategy to launch the league. Hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, it's Brian Beauchet with the Creative BTS Podcast. I am so excited to be sitting down here on Zoom with Tyler Brocious, the former digital content manager for the XFL. Tyler, thanks so much for coming on. No problem, man. Thanks for having me and taking some time out of probably a meeting or something you're in the middle of right now to chat with me. No worries. Uh, I'm taking a vacation day. Are you are? It's great. Oh, yeah. What's vacation day like? Is it is it nice in Seattle? Just staying in my apartment. No, it's terrible in Seattle. But I'm just taking a little little break today uh, to try to stay sane during the uh, during the the quarantine time. Um, but yeah, I wanted to kick off with just a little bit about your background. You bounced around between a number of different teams and leagues, a lot of experience in sports. So you just want to walk through uh, kind of your experience a little bit? Yeah, and I'll try to keep it brief because sometimes this is where I can get a little happy. But like for me, it started in high school. Like it was 09, maybe 2010. And like, I realized that I wasn't going to grow to be six, five and like my knees and ankles weren't going to let me be like a star center or a left tackle. And granted, mm-hmm. as much as I love sports, like I remember back until like all the way back to playing like 2K t- 2004, like I would sit with the controller above my head and like do play by play. Like I was Mark Zumoff, Harry Callis, like being a Philadelphia guy. Like I honestly thought I'd be like the next Joe Buck. And like, so growing up, that was always my aspiration. And in high school, I used to do all the play-by-play. Luckily, we had a really cool like media area in high school where it would go to like the local channel 19. I did all the play-by-play, soccer, lacrosse, you name it, um, up to football and basketball. And then I would also live tweet the game on my phone, like from the account I have now. So that was always a passion for me. And I continued that passion at Quinnipiac, like, Always wanted to go to Syracuse, but like it was always like, oh, if you're good enough, you get to do a game in your fifth year. It's like, I want to get my hands dirty now. Like, and so luckily, the best thing ever happened to me was Syracuse waitlisted me, Quinnipiac. I drove up there, and we always joke. My brother and I, my twin brother, was more of an Ivy nerdy type, like more introverted. Obviously, I am not that way. <laughs> we toured like twenty to twenty five colleges. My dad's the laugh. The only two we didn't tour were Quinnipiac and Boston College. And that's where we went on to love it. Like, (laughs) so I went to Quinnipiac and I was getting paid like 10, 12 bucks to do play by play in the fall, fell in love with sports like field hockey and women's soccer. And it was like, how do I continue making this quote unquote beer money in Mm -hmm. the winter when they go to radio hosts and stuff for soccer and basketball and our, and our social media just stunk. Like granted, like when you have older guys and they're just trying to stay afloat in a division one growing program, like and your your hockey team goes from nowhere to being in the Frozen Four national championship game. Yeah. Like there's gotta be a catch up. And so I told them, listen, I had this software. I think I found it and it was MP4. I was like, I can record every single goal and we can post it, tag the players. And before you know it, it was like, if you're gonna do it, you gotta do it. But real realize, and our athletic communication director at the time was really smart. He was like, Once you do this for hockey, basketball's gonna want in, soccer. 
And I was like, yeah, I got nothing but time. Like on the weekends, there's nothing better when you're in college than working a soccer game at 10 a.m. And I would do play-by-play there and cut the game, so social, and have somebody work for me down below to get live stuff. Then I'd go to field hockey at 1 o'clock, walk over, have a suit in the car, get done that at 4, wolf down a hoagie or a sandwich, come to the (laughs) arena in a suit, do another game, and buy and do a full feature piece after the hockey game on whoever had the big night if we won or a thought process on the loss for our student media organization. And by 10 o'clock, I was good. Like I only missed like, and this sounds might not sound great to employers, but when you're 21, 20 years old, I only missed the first hour of the pregame. And everyone would be like, and I come in like the cool dad in the suit. <laughs> it was like an on-running joke. Like, here comes dad. Yeah. For more- One man media company coming back. Like, and then but by the end of my senior year, my buddy who was tur- turned into my color commentator, he had a hockey background. Like we would, we did all the field hockey games. We traveled to the MAC tournament for field hockey. Um, I was doing social for every single game. And then as I build it out, like my other buddies had work study. So I had like my finance major was doing like my finance major buddy was doing the plus minus. My biology buddy was calling the game. Like it was, it turned into a whole family affair as much as your college family can do. And so with that, my grad year came and they said, hey, we need you to keep doing social media. Come get your grad degree. Did that for a year and a half, built out the media group with our um, comms guy at the time, 40, 50 kids, whether it was graphics, photography, video, storytelling, written, however you want to do it. We want to take the best talent and be like, you could do that for your, the local Quinnipiac ESPN, basically, or we'll give you 10 bucks and give you a much bigger platform to do it. And the kids ate it up. I oversaw the group, probably my proudest, getting those guys, taking reference phone calls, internships, jobs, 40, 50 of them. And my proudest number is probably 60 to 70 of them have gone on for sports internships and wow. and on the full-time gigs. So those are- And you. Yeah. And then for me- I You go to that. Connecticut Sun. I went to the Sun and the Black Wolves, ran campaigns there, social media, email marketing, website. And that was a great thing. Like- I spent my interview and it was all about social showed up the first day and the PR director, Jen Hildebrand at the time was like, I need to teach you how to do the email marketing and the websites. Cause you're in charge of those two. And I was like, at the time I was kind of like, what the hell? Three days later, I was like, this is another tool to add to the tool belt. Like this is yep. fun. And you got a lot of coverage at Connecticut sun. Yeah. So, a lot of snarky Twitter <laughs> comments, but still, you know, a lot of attention for us. It was, I had the, you know, I had, I wore a bunch of different hats. I was a blogger for Barstool at 18 years old. I helped them read Reddit, social media, stuff like that. And then I had a very structured athletics department and did some new stuff and stuff like that and internships, NBC Sports. So I got all this knowledge. And finally, I really got to put that on display at the Sun because I, yeah. I had a PR SID background. I had the Barstool funny background, memes, being... And I think women's sports really lack that because it's a camaraderie of we're 12 teams. And if one team wins, we all win. It's like, no, like the way you sell your product is like beating teams by 30 and laughing at them. Like that's what. <laughs> and we got really lucky. We were the underdogs, but we were really good. Our burn it down campaign. I worked with some really smart people, Maura Doyle, Robin Brown, Amber Cox. And we were able to really formulate something fun. And the disrespect campaign, luckily our VP Amber Cox was like, I'm taking the leashes off. Like, do your Let's thing. do it. Like, yeah. and so I was clapping back at guys with the, you know, classic, like make me a sandwich. Like, Oh, how's it feel to be an intern? I'm like, I'm making more than you are. Like, and yeah. we had a lot of fun and ESPN took notice, wrote a feature about me at the finals. Yahoo was writing about how the coach Mike Tebow 
at the Mystics were like flat out telling his players, like, you need to watch. We do not want press out there. Because we were finding clips from podcast <laughs> anything. Yep. And it was working in the locker room, out the locker room, and had an amazing opportunity to join the XFL. Took notice there. I'll never forget Rayel Etten called me. At the time, I was interviewing for the New York social media job for the Guardians. And I just wanted a different change, wanted to get back in the football a little bit. Um, and he called me and we, we hit it off, talking about BYU athletics and Clemson and what makes those guys special. And when you talk to somebody like that, I took the phone call in the lobby of the casino and I ended up walking around the entire casino so fired up on the phone with my dad, like, that guy gets it. And it was funny. We always all laugh how all interconnected we were. David Albright, who came from ESPN, just a brilliant person who ended up being my direct boss, like interviewed me five days away, like five days after being hired. He was hopping on a flight to finish up some ESPN stuff. When I got brought in, it was originally for a social media role. I didn't feel comfortable with the New York position and I wanted to be at the league level. And Rayel and David were like, this kid gets it. And so when I actually interviewed, I didn't, I actually read the night before that they hired Bailey. Carlin, who's just actually recently signed about an hour ago with Barstool. So, oh, wow. Huge. Yeah, I saw that. Um, so he he was their social guy and they were like, listen, we have a digital job. And I was like, I've done websites like that was where yeah. I didn't know 18 months ago, complaining to Jen Hildebrand at the time that I didn't want to do website stuff, that it would actually turn out to be in my favor. And through there, they realized I was kind of a unicorn. Like I was in video meetings. I was in social meetings, meetings with Fox and ESPN, like. I was 24. I'm kind of a different demographic. Um, you know, I'm not your stereotypical, like, macho white guy. Like, I see things through a totally different lens. And they love that. Like, Fred Harner was like, you're an enigma in all the right ways. Like, and I'll never forget, at the time, he looked at me and was like, describe yourself with one word. I'm like, I'm dynamic. Like, if you need me to put on a PR hat, I can do it. You need me to put on the bar stool hat. You need me to ride the middle. You need me to clap back, be conservative. Like, I get it. As a league, we need to wear different hats. And I was able to really do that. And it was a four-month sprint of awesome. Like, as I was telling you before we were started recording, like, I really, when talking with my family, thought that was going to – if the league was going to be a forever thing – I could so I could really see myself. I remember I talked with Fred the day we announced we weren't going to have a regular season. I went into his office and I said, "What's going on?" And he was like, "As of now, we all have jobs. We all need to work our butts off because our off season started way early." And I said, "I'm going to do everything I can. I want to be the VP or the head of content for a Philadelphia team down the road." And he loved that because he knew that like I don't think short term, the long term. And so go go ahead. Yeah, so going back to kind of you know switching over to the XFL, you know, new league competing against the NFL, uh, you know, what were some of the things that got you excited about the potential of the XFL and wanting to be there long term? You know, you mentioned wanting to get back into football, but the XFL was something unique and you took a different approach. So, what excited you about kind of joining uh, after working for the Sun? Uh, for me, it was like when you walked in, like. It's a shame because I love the sun, but like they did, we were in the basement at Mohegan Sun. Like there was no windows. So like first you're like, sweet, I have windows at my office. But yeah. aside, like, the, the, when I talked to Fred and I talked to Rayel, there was a big sense that we knew what we wanted to do and how we wanted to execute it. And how I would start a league was exactly how David would start a league and how Rayel would start a league and how Fred wanted to start a league. So when I was talking with Fred – we spent probably an hour and a half on the phone talking about the PLL and how good, even though yeah, it's an amazing launch. that's the way to do it and how you need a card runners and how you want it. I said, we need to get on the phone with Mike and Paul Rabel. 
that if you want to start a league, you need to splash between the ages of 18 to 25. And you do that through their phones. And then you can get to the other side of their pockets. And the way they did it with sponsorships, I was, I, I had like, they, that's always been my baby. And when we were at the, and I was at the NLL, that's what I tried to implement. Like, granted, it was one video guy, one graphics guy. So you can only do so much. But we tried to have a card runner, interns, whatever we needed. I said, we want to run it. Like, we're the PLL and it's championship day. And that was my process at Quinnipiac. It was, I want to run every Quinnipiac sporting event from an acrobatics and tumbling meet to the women's basketball team playing in, you know, against UConn in the second round at Gamble's. Like, it's our Clemson football national championship game. There should be no excuses why. If you want results, you have to put the money in. And I realized through all the budgets and looking at the numbers, we could do it in a really easy way. Also, considering they were paying me six credits a year and not paying me any cash. So, like, the brain was working for free. So, that level of intensity, fun, and everything was something I really felt at the XFL. And the ability to sit in a room that was completely diverse, I think, was really exciting to me. You know, every nationality, gender, orientation, whatever it was, was heard in a boardroom of about 20 people that were mostly my age, in between probably 20 to 30. And that was awesome. We had video. And we used to have these meetings twice a week where Fred would open it up from not the managers, but everybody. And that was so cool to sit and know deep down, like, hey, Jeffrey Pollock and Vince McMahon wants this. How can we execute this? And just that transparency allowed us all to feel like we were much I think, you know, our content team walked around there with a little bit of a swagger, one, because the results were good um, numbers and social when people are writing stories like, look what these guys are doing. And two, we all had trust in each other. Uh, The the content web guys are working with the app, the app were working with social. And that was my big thing was how can we find harmony in all that? And let's make sure we were still a small team, only four or five video editors, three social people, three web people overseeing not only our accounts, but helping with the team accounts on the team level that only had video, one video, one web, one social person. So my idea was to always make it cohesive and how can we make it all one product and the ability to constantly talk and trust really brought it to the next level at, you know, that's what excited me at the XFL. Oliver Mock was in the coffee room the day I went to go get a water in my interview because I talk a mile a minute Sam Schwartzstein, like, knew me by name. I can go over. Like, there was a time where we had to make an edit to the rules, and you have someone like the head of football ops that would just slide a chair over, and you can edit it right there. If you had a question about a rule, you can call someone. Like, the ability that everyone – It's exciting starting something. That's the best way. Being part of that core passionate team that's launching something. That's why a lot of people start startups too. You know, enjoying startups is just you get the passion in those type of organizations that you don't get otherwise. And, you know, a lot of startups get this and putting on our marketing hats a little bit. Uh, You know, NFL number one league in the country. You know, what problem were you kind of solving on, you know, the marketing side where, okay, that we see this gap, we see this opportunity. What was that problem or what were you really trying to accomplish with the XFL? What was that goal? I think there was three parts. And granted, I will not sit here and act like I was the brains behind it all because I did start late. But I, 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 you want to talk about being thrown in the fire. Monday was my first day. Tuesday, I was helping update the website on Jersey reveals. Yeah. And, when <laughs> and give you pull back the curtain. We didn't realize at the time with our website, if you named everything the same, if you named a picture number one and you named the other jersey number one, the photos would all flip flop. So we had 
I was 36 hours in on the job, living an hour and a half to two hours away, drove in at 8 a.m. through trying to get the photos to correlate to the right ones. I'm like, what is going on? And you got like all of marketing and their creative directors and everyone going, the you know, we weren't supposed to release Los Angeles until later tonight. What is going on? And I'm like, and luckily Tim Heaney at the time, we just figured it out. And that was our thing. And when you're starting up, the three things that separated us from the XFL, uh, the NFL, excuse me, was we wanted to be able to continue football in the spring. Football is the baby. I remember going to Eagles games. I'll never forget my first Eagles game. I was in my father's white Mercedes. I was wearing a Dallas Sucks sweatshirt because Philadelphia. (laughs) And I was so excited to go to my first game. I threw up all over myself. I'm not kidding you. Still to the day when I get anxious. That's passion right there. If your employees aren't throwing up on themselves, do they even care? Like literally, I kid you not. And we had turned the car around. Luckily, we weren't too far away from home, threw on another jersey, and we left. And that passion, we wanted to provide that all year round for fans. I don't think there was ever a situation where we were like, we're going to be better than the NFL. But we wanted to be, we didn't want to also be the minor league of the NFL. And we knew that. And for us to do that, it was keep prices reasonable that a family of four could go out and have a nice night of football and uh-huh. have some smaller part, smaller places like Audi Field in D.C. or f- focus on filling the lower bowls in these MetLife's and CenturyLink. And then the next one was we were going to bring totally different content in the NFL. And I think the balance was it was a January day and it was wh- what do we like? And I remember the meeting was supposed to be 30 minutes. Two hours later, we walked out of the meeting. And it was, how edgy do we want to be? Where do we want to fall? Do we want to be the Chargers? Do we want to be LSU? Like, And we said, no, 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 we're going to be the XFL. And I just kept being like, once we start trying to emulate somebody else, we're not being true to ourselves. We have 20 or 30 of the best minds in this room. Let's figure it out. And we landed on being transparent, being fun dealing with access, whether it be with the refs, the players or whatever, and we were going to be cutting edge. And I think when we look back on week one, I remember texting Bailey and no one could sleep. Like Saturday happened. We all crashed at like 1 a.m. It was 3 a.m. Monday morning. I'd be back in the office at 10 to get stuff going for week two. And I remember we were all texting like, that's how we do it. That stunk. That works. We got this. And when you have, when you invest in young creatives, their minds don't really turn off. And yeah. and I'm not saying it to be a detriment to anybody else. We don't have kids. Some have a dog. Like our, our significant others totally understand that we are fully invested. This is our child. And that's how we all felt with the XFL, even people who had families. Like I remember texting Fred the first week and I was like, this is why I joined. I missed the rush. There's actually a photo of me from week one or week two. And the whole room, the whole, our floor, where it usually would fill with about 200 employees from Stanford. And it's just, I was the last one. And there was one light. It's on my Instagram somewhere. And it's one light. And I'm like, you can't beat that thrill. Like the thrill of just knowing, and it's almost a high, like um, you can't beat it because the thrill of knowing you're part of something special is top notch. And that's how we all felt week one, week two, week three. And everyone will go, well, well, the ratings, it's like, yeah, if you hypothetically, just layman's terms, so I'll explain it to my mom and my dad. We started at a nine out of 10. The Fox, the ESPNs were going to be okay with a three out of 10. We never got below a five out of 10. Like, 
obviously we had a drop from 10 or a nine out of 10, but we never dropped yeah. to below a threshold where ESPN or Fox was upset with us. I truly yeah. believe and down to my core that if it was not for COVID and not for Corona and not for the blatant uncertainty that we don't know when the NFL or the NCAA will play, which kind of predicates everything we're trying to do by offering spring football, that's why we shut down. It was never going to be yeah. our product, never going to be about good football. We're recording this the Thursday of the NFL draft. You will see the Kenny Robinsons like names today, and it will prove the PJ Walker signings when Cam Phillips signs. It will prove that this worked. This was not a labor. Yeah, it worked. A bad prospect. The marketing worked. Everything. The product was great. There's a lot of hype in Seattle about the Dragons. You know, it's it's hard to predict the global pandemic that shuts down sports. Not like the worst the possible time. <laughs> You know, you didn't account for it in your marketing plans, should have adjusted. No, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a really sad reality. Um, you know, a lot of sports teams are being affected by that. Uh, and too bad because I think, you know, the XFL had a ton of potential, was already good on the field, great marketing. Um, and I think you did an incredible job with this launch where, you know, it's the PLL is a good example of this, even starting new franchises, new teams within the league. It's a really hard thing to do. So to dive kind of, you know, create a BTS, go behind the scenes here a little bit more, pull the curtain back. Um, for you, you know, you worked for the XFL league itself and you were digital content manager. So can you go over a little bit what that specific role means? Yeah. So it was kind of weird cause I was such a hybrid. I was literally like a mm-hmm. seven iron or however you want to say, like I was just thrown into random situations in a fun way. Um, for me, I was one of the three editor in chiefs of the website. That means anything that was posted on one of the eight teams or the league's website was seen through me or David or Tim Heaney. So we had all eyeballs and everything. And also like we, we were in meetings basically like, how do we showcase our stats? Like what, yeah. what do, like these are things that everyone takes for granted when you go to NFL or NBA and was like, wait, what league leaders do we want? Defense, offense. How do we incorporate yeah. like the most of like, right. I hadn't thought about that. Just like the very basics of any sport media. Like, Oh, what does a player profile look like? Do we want it to be a, yeah. do we want it to be a moving gif? Like we have all this stuff from NF from Fox and ESPN. Like, what does that look like? I've sat in meetings like that, which is when you talk about it four months, you could never get that experience anywhere else. Like, yeah. and people were looking at, you're creating it for the first time yeah. with your unique brand and angle on it. And yeah. the boot, I'm the youngest person in the room by eight to nine years. And they're like, what do you want to see? I'm like, does it look good on the phone? Like, Mm-hmm. I love desktop, but I know when I read long forum or stuff like that, I go to my desktop. I'm an old soul. I know all the buddies I talk to that are gambling at 21, 22, 23, all are doing it through their phone. And maybe like the only person I know that gambles through their iPad is my father. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> love them or you're watching the game and it's your second screen experience. Exactly. You know, you don't want to have your computer open. So yeah, that makes a lot of thing. sense. So like down to the minutia of when we were editing pieces, our player of profiles happened on week two and week three. We were a little delayed. We were actually hyperlinking and cop pasting in the player. Yeah. So like we were in the weeds while also like I was, Rael saw me as a giant resource to the team social editors because I was one of their only social media editors that came from a team. And that aspect, uh-huh. so like the idea of like, hey, you're a three person squad over there. You have to fill up the buffet plate, meaning... No, if your video editor is shooting a hundred clips a game and uses 58 of them for a post-game wrap or a pre-game pumper, the other 42 need to be standalones mixed into a player profile. Like you, you sometimes might have to reiterate the wheel 
And then through that, we also were using YouTube as our main video hub for the website. So I basically took over YouTube. Like I did not know a lot about it. I became a job. So website's one, then YouTube's the other. So kind of the main video channel. Yeah. And so at the time we didn't have a media player on the website. So we were embedding everything mm-hmm. from YouTube and it was like yeah. not even knowing we were so fast paced. Like I realized after week two, or week three, that whatever the thumbnail they were reaching down here, it looks fine. A small square. Once you blow it up to a website, it looks like trash. So yeah. like, I had to finally got Photoshop on my computer and was like making thumbnails. And like, for me, it was like, I was sitting in meetings up, Editor in chief slash graphic designer like for, for YouTube thumbnail. That needed to be done, and yeah, and the good thing was like I was sitting in meetings to how to cut highlights for social, and how can I take the social highlights and then put them in the YouTube and get them up on the site as one-off pieces? Because some teams were great; they were writing content every day. Some teams weren't; they were just too busy or they couldn't get over to the field. Like LA, their field's an hour away without traffic, so like we were able to balance and help any way we could. And for me, that was a social media and social media meeting in the morning, uh, digital content meeting in the afternoon. I was on the Twitch board, like we were working in the off season. And when obviously COVID hit and everything at home, like Friday our league shut down on Tuesday, we were talking with Twitch about starting a channel and having players and yeah. having things like that. So like I wanted to get my hands dirty and everything I could because I don't do well with sitting around. Like. There is no one. It's a very multifaceted. Yeah. yeah. Any kind of the hub for digital yeah. across. And for your team, so you mentioned a little bit about kind of how your team is composed. Give us an idea of, you know, how many people and what roles were on the XFL side versus who you worked with on each of the teams. So for the XFL, it broke down that Fred Harner would oversee all the digital media. There was a video team with Steve Lynn. I forget his last name, but Steve Lynn would oversee a video team of about five editors from the league. And then there was digital, which was David Albright, who came from ESPN. Uh, Tim Heaney was Tim and Tim and I were hand in hand. He's insane when it comes to SEO and stuff like that. Taught me so much in my four months. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was social where it was Rael who oversaw uh, another two, three guys. And then we had a photo editor. So that whole, that's XFL specific. That is all XFL league also would sometimes create, stuff for the teams. And then each team had a content director that oversaw a social media person and a video person. And then we would bring in freelancers for games and stuff like that. So we were, I thought so, a very well-oiled machine where, granted, we were at the luxury of being all eight teams are technically owned by the same person. So there were a lot of ways to keep things similar and you know, we were all keep the brand consistency, help each other out. And the brilliant thing was about that. Like we had Houston versus Dallas, you know, the Houston throwdown, or I think it was called Texas throwdown. And it was awesome because we were able to all like behind the scenes, talk to the Dallas social media manager and the Houston ones. They knew that they were going to be in a fight that week, like our barbecues better and whatever. And fans you know, yeah. behind the curtain, fans don't know that like, they think these are guys like actually sitting at their desk being mean, but like basically we had it all written out. Like, and that really allows you to have – I think that happens a lot more in the other – what I call the big four, the NHL, MLB, NFL, and the NBA. But I that really allowed us because we were all in the same meetings. We were all having the same discussions, all helping each other, um, the greater goal. And that was something that was really exciting. 
And are you guys on the same system? So you know you have the benefit of the same owner, obviously, where other leagues don't have that. Um, but you know when you're at the XFL working with the different teams and you're trying to collaborate with everyone, are you like on the same Slack channels? Like, give me a sense of like what's the technology you're using? How do you coordinate? That was the one thing that blew me away. I came from Quinnipiac, which was still up and growing. Connecticut Sun Black was still growing. The day when I walked in, and I never heard about Octa or Octave. Yeah, and he was like, "This will get you into everything you need." Yeah, Octa. Yeah. yeah. And it was like Gmail, Docs. Just one sign on to everything. Yeah. Slack. And that was awesome. So like we had a social media channel. We had a digital content channel. We had everyone in XFL content. So that those three from each team and the league, we had marketing. Are all on the shared Slack, uh, yeah, Slack channels? Yeah, all different channels. That's whatever great. avenue you need to go to. So you never felt alone. So like even if it was like, hey, guys, LSU dropped a sick video. Check this out. Or hey, check out this freelance guy. One, he does really cool transitions. How the heck do we do that? Or two, like, do we need him at a game somewhere? Or yeah. I could reach out to our data company and say, hey, uh, the website on the team side says 94 rushing yards. The league says 90. Like, there was only Let's resolve this. It was incredible. And so the transparent, it's almost like the brand, you know, you're transparent as a brand and you were in the behind the scenes, how you worked, you know, bringing everyone at the same Slack organization, having shared channels. I, I, did that accelerate things? Could you feel that compared to your, your previous roles? Oh yeah. Like we used really good scheduling techniques and stuff at, you know, the black wolves in the sun. There wasn't really any, it was a one man band and me kind of just making sure everything went smoothly at Quinnipiac, but like. Yeah. To come in and you had an IT department, like we had an IT guy who was in charge of making sure um, stuff ran smoothly on game day from just Stanford. And then we shipped. I don't don't want to speak to it, but I think every single stadium, whoever was hosting, had IT. So like the thought process down to we all worked off something called Wild Mocha for cutting, and we had live view cameras at each stadium. And Becky, I forget Becky's last name, but she was. She sat in a room. It had 20 different screens. It looked like a control room. We built one out yep. in Stanford. And that all ran through one thing. And then she would ingest all the data from that week. And so teams could access games and access files. And yep. the brilliance behind the infrastructure is what, after a week or two, I said, this will work. Like, this was the people who want to think this is flying by the seat of your pants. This was the most thought out well-produced, like everything was accounted for down to like the off season when we started, but we never knew what would happen in the month. It was like, okay, who's doing this? What do we need from the teams? Like teams are working on video yearbooks up until Friday. Like the infamous bad, good Friday as I like to joke about it now. Um, And so like we had a plan in place where we knew what was going to come from the team level. We knew what was going to come from the league level and how we could collaborate and those experiences of four months, I think, puts me at another advantage. You know, yeah, you can see that being implemented that effectively, brilliant. And to see what works, what didn't. Like I now, I always joke. My dad calls me that Friday, and my dad is very X's and O's. He grew up to be. He was working on a printing press for a long time. Started his own business. My mom was a barber and opened up her own barber shop once we flew the coop for college. So like. I will come from two entrepreneurs. My mom is more like, oh, you'll be all right. My dad's like, what's the plan? And I'm like, yep. dad, <laughs> one, relax. Two, like I'm 24. I've been in this industry for eight to nine years studying on it. 
And that's what you felt at, Quint- at the XFL. Everyone was going home and still working. Like, not that we were asked to. Like, there was never a better infrastructure than the XFL that believed in work from home, believed in – who would ever think in the middle of the season, my digital manager said, there's no point in you burning out. Take Fridays off. If we need to come in, we'll let you know. Thursdays I worked from home. That that never has happened to me before, especially in the college and the other ranks. So the infrastructure there was people went home, they were reading, whether it was front office sports, like we were all passionate about it. We were very passionate about it. And I said to my dad, I just worked from the ground up four months to help launch a football league that was highly successful if there wasn't for a global pandemic. I'm going to be all right. I'm frustrated because as I, like, you know, I was fine on Friday. I cried on Saturday because everyone I worked with reminded me so much of myself, whether it was 30 years in the future, 20 years in the future, or two years younger than me. We were hungry dogs. And as I love to quote Jason Kelsey and the Eagles parade of, what was that, 2017? Like hungry dogs run faster. Like, and that's how we all felt. Like we were all coming from a league that was undervaluing content or a place that was undervaluing content, or we got laid off somewhere with tons of experience. And we were all like, no, let's, we're going to do this and do it big. So you, so you learn the best practices, you bring together all those people with all that experience. And, you know, I see that all the time, you know, it's the infrastructure is a competitive advantage. If you are competing against the NFL, you're competing against, you know, the big four leagues. Uh, and you're like, okay, our brand has to be transparent. We have to be able to move quickly, give insights into the players, okay. provide this unique, edgy access. You have to put in the infrastructure on the technology side to enable that. And I love, you know, I've definitely seen it as a best practice where you're all on the same Slack channel together if you can afford it. Um, you know, if you can, if you can have that level yeah, of transparency. It's funny between. It was used too, and like not forced. It was just used. Like I was part of a WNBA Slack channel at the Sun. It would be like, oh, don't forget we have a meeting or like a quick question about All Star, like. But not true collaboration. This was used fully for – and granted, I get it. Everyone's a little closer to the vest because maybe the separate owners. I I get that. But that idea – But if you can, it's an advantage. I mean that's your advantage. You have – and if you need to move quickly, like if there's a great soundbite on the field and you want to immediately put it on social – you know, if you have different systems that you're working across, if things aren't, you know, consolidated, if it, you know, if it takes forever for it to get on the live feed or into the, you know, into the hands of the league, it's just not going to happen. And then the moment's over and you lost it. Yeah. And where that was your unique advantage. And my big thing was, and I was very adamant about it. I, we went live view for like clips. And so we could shoot it back to wild mocha, clip it. So like someone's literally standing in a camera in Seattle live where however this works through the internet we're getting a live view we can gif it clip it push out social it just didn't look that clean still so we we were still planning for 2021 to implement card runners and shoot with dslrs and get to that close as we we thought we could get there with the live views it's close to that pll high crisp level i still knew we need to get there and as a 24 year old who obviously never is afraid to speak up in a meeting is like no no this is great we're spending a lot of money on it but we need to do something else. Like even if we hire one freelancer and one runner, and that was the thing that really, you know, I was really excited about was like, no one really looked at me and poo-pooed my ideas. It was like, okay, that makes sense. Like, can you look into that? Like how much would freelancers cost? And I think the cohesiveness showed in the one game where we had a, we had a pretty bad referee mistake. Guy goes down on a knee, should have been two seconds left, first and 10 inside the 20. It was a one score game. Touchdown, he could have tied, you know, Seattle could have tied the game up. And 
we all stood up in the middle of Stanford and we were like, we need an answer here. We need to be transparent. This is where we can be different than the NFL. And that was the first time, I think that was week three or four, where we were getting slammed on social and digital. People were yeah. great. This is a second class league. And wouldn't you know, and in about 30 to 40 minutes, we had a statement from PR. The referee ha- was reassigned. He was, you know, I don't really know what happened to him. He was sent to the XFL gulag. Um, but, and we had it up on social. He reacted quickly though. Graphic. You had the transparency, yeah. And that, and people were like, it turned out to be one of our top five posts ever. And people were like, this is what sets you apart. And we all knew it. Like, It wasn't like, oh, this will make us look better. It was like, this is what we've stood on. This is what we talked about in December and January. We need to act on it right now. You can't be all access and then go hiding when things go south. And that was what I still think to this day, the way we all got up, we acted. It was up on the website pretty quickly. And people really gave us credit for that. Yeah, that's amazing. And the, uh, the, you know, the tech stacks, one element of it, but then the processes uh, seem like they were a huge advantage as well, where, you know, you can use Slack, you can have all these, the infrastructure in place, but you're like, you said, if people aren't using it, if there is no structure behind it, it doesn't work. So it sounds like you're able to turn things so fast at the XFL. You got that, you know, the statement out day of what were your processes like for kind of the feedback and approval process? So if we take an example of, you know, maybe there's an audio clip from a game what was your approval level like across the marketing team of getting that published? What kind of leeway did you have? Freedom? Um, you know, give me a sense of that approval process. The good news is that Fred Harner and even Jeffrey and everyone above knew the importance of content and knowing the importance of content in a speed manner. Um, we were really sound on setting up plans before the week and we lived by those. It was kind of like the 10 commandments of the XFL. Like we knew we were going to be fast and loose. We weren't going to drop F-bombs. Granted, if there was one picked up, we could bleep it, whatever. So like, we just knew that there were certain parameters. And the big thing was setting those goalposts and living in between them. Like That was just the way it was going to be. And we were okay with that. And as things popped up, I think the only tweet that really got pulled from the year, and I mean, we did memes, we did everything, anything possible. Yeah. You guys were very, yeah, you did a lot of creative old, edgy things that I haven't seen a lot of leaks. Got us. It was a 6-9 game and 4-20 left. <laughs> and that was the first time I got called over. And Fred's like, can you explain this to me? And Rael was out on location. I was like, yeah, it's a 69 reference doubled down by a 420 With the 420 reference. And so like, I think the double down was probably it. But like we flew – not that we – I don't want anyone ever thinking that like it was a bunch of 20-year-olds running fast and loose. We had a plan. We were targeting younger audiences. It was a mix of really transparent league, barstool, fun, different. And it, it showed. And I think the idea of those, it was a lot that came to fruition in those Tuesdays and Thursday meetings where we knew exactly what we were going for. And we weren't afraid to pivot. Like we saw halfway through the season that highlight videos weren't doing like pumpers for trying to rev up a non-rival like Houston and Dallas did it from the very beginning. That was authentic. But trying to hype up a matchup between Dallas and New York, like not needed. Like we don't Didn't we don't need a video editor, but we could have a video editor focus on Jordan Tayamu's crazy first three weeks. We could have and granted thing like all the fashion for the first few weeks. Like we were able to pivot and never afraid to kind of say, no, 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 that's the way we've always done it. And that was the power of kind of being a startup. I think a lot of these teams, a lot of leagues, it's, well, that's how we always have done it. It's like, yeah, but, Where you got to but the way it. you did it in 2014 and the way you're doing it in 2020, I don't think they should be parallel. Yeah. Like, so you iterate, you just were able to iterate a lot faster where 
the lesson that, you know, the lesson I'm hearing here that a lot of marketing creative teams can take is you set the guidelines, you set the baseline, you all get on the same page of what's on brand and what you're trying to go for, for the weekend, for the campaign, for whatever project you're doing. You execute on it. You don't have as many touch points throughout. Yeah. So they give you, you know, you, they gave you the freedom to post things and, you know, trusted you. So there's got to be a lot of trust there. And then at the end of that, you kind of do a recap and you say, okay, what did we do well? What didn't, what landed, what didn't. So you were constantly setting the baseline, trusting employees to execute on it. And then you'd recap and kind of figure out what worked, what didn't, and how to make it better the next time, exactly. which seems like a great learning you know, sequence to go through. And that's the power of when you take the leash off 20 to 25 year olds that you're entrusting power. Or anyone, yeah, yeah, yeah. any age group yeah, can do it, but we, yeah, you're we right. Went, we, they went and hired younger and they saw the rewards of it. Like, and I remember at Quinnipiac, like, Maybe in games I can kind of do whatever, but like a pro- it was such a process. And I remember at the Sun and Black Wolves, when I was posting stuff, it would be okay. Like if I was in game, but if there was a big campaign and we were kicking off a big video approval of copy and stuff like that, that still happened at the at the XFL to a very minimal degree. It was like promote anything that really had to do with marketing as compared to content. So promos for tickets, promos for merch, that stuff had a more you know, ebb and flow of, okay, this is what we're going to say for the dragons or the Dallas. When it came to content, there was a ton of trust in the website people, the app people, which are basically us in the website and the social people to know what was best, what was going to work come game day. And we executed. Yeah. And so give me a quick pitch on, you know, launching a league. I know there's so much that goes into it. It's incredibly complex and I don't want to go for a two hour podcast. Um, but what's the high level of, you know, when you're thinking about launching this league, I love the team reveals, the Jersey reveals, you know, going through the, what were the big milestones you wanted to hit, um, as you were thinking about this launch, uh, of the league. So for us, it was like, we really want to capitalize. I started right after football revealing the brand new football that took years to, you know, a year or two, Sam Schwartz, everyone, everyone who was involved really looked at that. The Jersey reveals um, themes were before and then locations before that, that was way before my time. But then it was, there was the draft. There was um, like any content that was like big name players coming out, like Landry Joneses, the PJ Walkers, the Cardell Jones leaning into that because we were still building star power yeah and then once it was week one it was like here's the football like we're done with all this we're done with the jazz the rules we want to showcase the new rules that set us apart from the xfl the nfl excuse me the access that set us apart from the nfl and other leagues the and then just our voice and the fun so yeah so that's so covering covering the actual play while also emphasizing what you're best at uh, and what separated you yeah and then each week was a new goalpost of maybe players, you know, excelling or different games or different controversies or whatever you wanted to hype up. You know, you had their jersey reveals, build up the hype, go through the draft and then launch into the actual season. Yeah. So for us, it was like all the football. The great thing, once again, having one owner, we spent our entire, quote unquote, preseason and training camp. All of XFL Stanford basically moved down the Houston. So <laughs> everyone and Every single one of the eight teams also lived in Houston. So all the practices, teams were able to practice with each other, social media. We were able to have seminars and everything like for a month in Houston. Everyone was in Houston working together. It was brilliant. So it allowed for live practices and scrimmages. And we showed up for the first day of preseason and scrimmages. 
We didn't know if the kickoffs were going to be absolutely amazing when it was XFL, or we really didn't know how coaches were going to, if they're going to show what they actually were going to do and around yeah. four passes. So we all learned from the ground level. We were pumping in the helmet microphones from the quarterbacks around the PA, seeing how likely yeah. is it that they're going to drop F-bombs. So you're learning. It was like a little proof of concept that you all got to experience together. Yeah. And everyone's there with the same goal, whether you're a Vipers player or a Guardians assist, assistant equipment manager, we wanted this league to secede. And when you have a league with employees probably north of 500 to 1,000, you have to have that mindset. Because one bad apple that's looking at something else really sets things in motion. And that was the crazy thing. You, Whoever you would come in contact with, like we shared a hotel with the Battlehawks. Marquette King and I would take the elevator up together sometimes. Like, And we'd be joking. He'd be like, what do you do? I'm like, I work on the website. He's like, oh my God, that's so cool. I'm like, I know what you do. You're the punter. You used to play for the yeah. Raiders. <laughs> you have all this camaraderie and all this fun yeah. throughout the league. It makes for something special. And it was just such a different proof of concept. And it really worked. What were some of the favorite things that you guys actually produced? You know, what are you, what are you proudest of? It was funny because after the season ended is one of some of my proudest work. Like I thought our quote unquote drip piece about all the guys coming in with their different outfits and the things like that. I saw that on the website. That was amazing. Like different look, like different fun look. Um, I thought our in-game, the way we were able to produce on social credit to our social team led by Rayel, so good, so crisp. And he was lucky. He came from the Jets. He saw what happens when you don't when you maybe have the shackles a little bit more on content and he, once you get the shackles off, like Fox, we had meetings, tons of meetings, Fox and ESPN. There's only so much of highlight rules, but if you're promoing their tune in and you're doing it right, no one comes calling. Like, and we were, I remember we sat in meetings every Tuesday and Thursday and it'd be like, all right, Len Mead, who was like in charge of Fox and ESPN, like our relationships there was like, Guys, like just remember, like 30 seconds in we blew it out of the water every week, but we were doing so well and promoting it the right way and doing it the right way. No one was really upset and no one really came to slap down on our wrists a little bit. And I think that the way we were able to really make everything so smooth on game day and provide a viewer a second lens, a second look at what they were seeing rather than just the television feed down to your phone. Yeah, was next exactly. level. And that's what you want in 2020. If they're not putting their butts in the seats which we were, their TV and their second viewer, whether it's on an iPad or a phone, needs to be second, you know, top level. And it was throughout. Whether it was So yeah, talk good. Talk about the talk about the outcomes. You know, what what from the you know social media side, you know, I've seen the accounts grew like crazy. Um, so from the digital content perspective, you know, what were the outcomes of doing it this different way? Like we were doing, I have to pull it up, but I think we were close we did almost 1.5 million uniques on the website the first week. And by the end of it, we were at 5.5 total. And that's what we were talking about. Like it never really dipped to people to go, yeah. okay. Like there was never a nervousness about 2021, 2022 in the office. We knew we were crushing and, mm-hmm. and everything on social, like engagement. If teams are supposed to be in that sweet spot of like one, two, we were doing like 10.5, 5.8. Like we were doing astronomical numbers, like engagement per follower. It was something that was almost absurd, like very fun. And luckily we had a very smart analytical team. So like we knew what was performing and what wasn't. We tagged everything through the social back end. We like, and when you, once again, 
you have an analytical team that's on the same Slack and they're incorporating their ideas and what they see. Easy collaboration. I mean, they did, I think it was. So you're adjusting in real time. You see what's effective. You can immediately pivot to that or keep, you know, doubling down on that because everyone's so coordinated together. And with that, we were exactly, we were realizing that social organic content was doing much better if put behind paid instead of like to get $25 lower bowl. Like, and our, and when you have something that has a web team, a social team, a video team, and an analytical team all together to make what I call really nice stew, it's beautiful. Yeah. Like you need you need the carrots, you need the stock, you need a nice piece of meat. And then the analytic department was the one was the nice pot that kept it moving and boiling for four hours, five hours to really render all that. And they made the juice. They made it all flow. They knew what worked and what didn't. And it's what blew us out of the way. It really what took us to, okay, this is good to, wow, leagues are noticing, yeah. teams are noticing the crazy thing. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the backbone behind it. We can talk all day about, well, we did this really creative thing. We loved it. But if there's no analytics behind it, if you're not actually able to get that engagement or put butts in seats, which is, you know, tickets are a huge, you know, huge goal for every sports team and league. Um, and you have to have that backbone to measure that, or you're just throwing content out and there and was, have no idea what you're doing. And that was, I remember at Quinnipiac, I had to kept justifying how my importance was. So I, because mm-hmm. the analytics was weak, you didn't have you know, the backbone there. So that's when I was like, okay, I am 20 and I'm going to become an analytic th- fiend and show yeah. that you got to prove and it. Show that the women's tennis assistant coach posting a blurry photo stinks. And me getting paid $30 to come to her game to take high-res photos and tag players is what they need. And you get the ROI. Exactly. And so when I went to the Sun and Black Wolves, I was not getting paid what I wanted to get paid. And I wanted to showcase, like, this this is what comes with me. And it was, granted, I will never take away that our team went to the finals for the first time since 04. That plays a crucial role. But if you cannot – if they like the spark and you can't run with it, it's not worth it. And we did – the best season in 2019. The Black Wolves were up in every category besides one category between the Sun and the Black Wolves, almost 15. We were in the green in every single one. Like followers, engagement. Engagement was doing crazy things. Um, and we saw it. Like down to the point where I was planning everything out. I'm a anxious. I have anxiety. I like to plan. I need – I have – sticky notes everywhere above my desk right now. That's just how (laughs) reminders from Alexa to my phone. Like that's how I work. Everything needs to be labeled for me. And so I, luckily with our marketing director, Maura Doyle at the sun, we built something called big Bertha. And it was this Excel spreadsheet that showed I could type in our whole plan for two weeks on social and everything was labeled tickets, merch, game experience. And so I can go to my VP and say, listen, we're doing 20% over the next two weeks of tickets. Do you want more? Do you want less? Here's merch. You want more? Do you want less? It was such a popular. And you could actually tie it together. And everything was so lovely that the day I accepted the job at the XFL over the phone, I was presenting at the WNBA Big Bertha. And teams were like, VP. What is this? We need this. VPs were coming to me and CEOs of the company like, I don't know if you ever want to leave the sun, but we'll hire you on the spot. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's not all me, but it takes someone to, t- to put in the pain in the butt effort on Thursday afternoons for four or five hours to write that out, present it on Friday, and then put in the Hootsuite tweet deck and Facebook media manager on Monday morning. And my thing was always, I'm okay with that. But then I go, you saw the plan on Friday. If you didn't like it, we could have changed it. Granted, there's always little ebbs and flows. You got to make a move. But that's when I sat down with Fred my first couple times at the XFL 
I said, what's our analytic department like? Let's let's make sure. And he told me everything. Here's the people that's going to work on web. I actually got onboarded with one of the analytic people December 1st, my first day. And you could just tell they were geniuses. Like they knew everything. And then you had marketing, which so many times you see marketing try to flow into content and try to bleed in. They knew their spot. They knew they were going to handle emails. They knew they had some website banners, graphics, whatever. They would try to keep us sometimes contained in a look and a feel, which I get it. That's their job. But they let content do their thing. And when you have everything kind of dancing, it's funny because I always remember when I used to watch Dancing with the Stars as a kid. Now, this is a reference. Stay with me. And you'd see like the group dance and everyone knew where everybody else was and they never tripped up on each other. And it's kind of like an offensive line. Like if you go back left foot and they go back right foot and you trip over the guy, you're screwed. But everyone in the XFL knew where they were shifting, where they were moving. And it all comes back to that one central hub between the eight teams and the mothership, we called it, at Stanford. And everyone's there to help each other out. That's a pretty amazing that you got there so quickly um, and kind of just shows the potential. And that's, you know, that's enough of a parting shot itself. Um, but as we wrap up here, which thank you so much for giving the overview of the launch. Did I ramble? It's no, you did great. Uh, it's, (laughs) it's, uh, you know, not a lot of people understand what goes on, uh, to actually get something like that off the ground and how many people and how many processes need to be put in place. Um, and it's pretty incredible that you're able to put that together so quickly, but any parting shots for this audience? I leave with this and I am 24. I have been in this business for eight to nine years, and this is my shameless plug. There is nothing (laughs) I love more than working in sports, digital, website, social media. If you want someone to come in, master a content plan, live tweet their face off, can write a feature, can write a game recap, can write, write a preview. I just did it for the XFL. If you want someone to come in, live and breathe your team, your sport, and want to put grassroots down. Like I cannot stress to you. I want to find a forever team, a forever league. I I've moved one too many times for a young kid. My age. <laughs> I want to get a dog. Well, you're in sports, Tyler. You got to get used I to know. it. And I want to travel the globe with a team and just kick some AS. Can I curse on this podcast? Sure. Why not? Kick some ass on content. That's what I'm here for. I come from two entrepreneurs and that's what I'm here for. So my parting shot is like, take risk on young creators. If it's not me, and content planning, maybe take in the consideration the 18-year-old freelance graphic designer like we did. We hired a 17-year-old graphic designer. He slid in my DMs, and by Monday, he was making our matchup for week two graphics. Next level. And if you don't realize, if you put the control, sometimes not a lot, you put a little control in an 18 to 24-year-old's hand, that's who people that are going to come look at your product. And then you have forever fans who bring their kids, their parents, if you start there, that's the next level. So take a chance on a young creative and you never know 30 years down the road, it might be the best decision you ever made. I love that. Yeah. And it sounds like XFL was able to do that. Uh, you know, unlike a lot of companies that I talk to where they put in the guidelines, they put in the base, and then they trust the creatives to execute, um, which is a great parting shot. Thanks, Tyler. I appreciate you coming on and best of luck with everything. Thanks, brother. Thanks, brother.